there. You're listening to the Steve Fun Speak On It podcast. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by our hosts and guest panelists are their own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of the Steve Fund. Before we begin our conversation, it is important to note that the information shared on this podcast cannot and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with a health or mental health care professional. If you or a loved one need help, please reach out to a health or mental health provider or the Steve Fund Crisis Text Line, which you can access by texting Steve to 741-741. Thank you and enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Speak On It Season 2, Secrets of Wellbeing. In today's episode, we will be discussing physical well-being and body image. Joining us today are Dr. Michelle Maidenberg and Fatima Saifuddin. Michelle is the author of the book, Free Your Child from Overeating, 53 Mind-Body Strategies for Lifelong Health. Her book guides practitioners, parents, kids, and teens through mind-body strategies that help them develop lifelong healthful behaviors. Outside of being an author, she also has her own private practice in Harrison, New York, and is the clinical director of the Through My Eyes Foundation and is a Psychology Today blogger. Fatima Saifuddin is a current PhD candidate and former YIB member. Although her primary work focus is in the biomedical field, Fatima is a strong activist that works to address the gaps seen in research-related mentorship and is currently working on programming through her campus's diversity and inclusion office to create a workshop for principal investigators at her campus. So to start us off, uh, we will be doing our favorite check-in and it is called Rosebud Thorn. Rosebud and Thorn Rose this week for me is that my parents uh, flew in, so I'm getting a lot of good home food. Um, and then a bud would be that I have been getting a lot of new amazing data um, in my lab. Um, I won't expand on that. <laughs> Just, I have data and I'm going to analyze it. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> so definitely hopeful for how like that analysis will look. Um, and then a thorn has been, there is a, um, I guess, a tool that I made in lab that's not working quite uh, in the way that I thought it would. So I am currently working on that and hoping that I can correct that little irritation. Finishing up, you know, uh, writing a book. So that's exciting. And it's just, I just actually finished, finished it. So uh, writing up the conclusions, yeah, which is very exciting. Um, the, let's see, a bud, um, I'm hopeful for. Well, I'm very interested in doing a TED Talk. <laughs> and that would be really good for the promotion of my book. So that's something I'm looking looking forward to and hopefully it will work out um and then let's see a thorn it's really good that i can't think of a thorn <laughs> i guess that's a good thing right i can't think of anything um just that i need sleep i just i feel like i have not been able i'm just i go to i find myself just going to sleep way too late and i it's not healthy. <laughs> so I have to work on that. Yeah. I think for me, I'm a flip and reverse this and use my thorn as the first one. Um, I've been off caffeine for the past month and a half, and it's definitely been a transition. Um, it's, it, it's just a very interesting thing of like trying to stay motivated and stay energized while going back to back with meetings and classes and everything. So that has been a journey and still trying to adapt to it. Um, I think a rose for this week is that there is some traction in the research that I'm currently doing as well with our community partners. Um, and so it kind of looks like we're having at least some sort of product coming out of it or um, on the way towards it. And then a bud is that I have a plant shopping trip planned with a couple friends. So we're going to go to a nursery um, in the area and I'm just probably going to buy them out on all the like cute little plants that I can find that are indoor friendly. Um, so that's me. I guess a thorn would be... 
Honestly, I'm not entirely sure. There are many things that are thorns in my life, but I can't think of one specifically. Um, a thorn, I guess, would be that I have another midterm coming up again, even though I just took one like this week, I think. No, last week. But yeah, I have another midterm coming up. So that's going to be fun to study for. Um, a rose this week, something good that has happened was that I received a new housing offer and I got to move into a new dorm with like two new roommates and I moved from like a double room to a triple room and I thought that was going to be iffy because it's like you know another person and it's like smaller space but both of them I really like them and I'm looking forward to like hanging out and we have a lot of similarities so that's pretty cool and then a bud for this week I guess it would count as this week but later oh tomorrow a couple Berkeley friends of mine have come to Stanford to go watch the Stanford versus UCLA football game. So that's kind of fun to do. What should I say is my thorn? I think one thing is just like, I went, we went to them these office hours this morning, like one of my project groups for like one of my classes. And I think they told us it was going to start at 10 and then the spreadsheet sign up thing didn't start till 10 30 so we all got there early and then when they finally showed up they were like what like you were here since 30 minutes ago and I just think it was kind of funny but like little things like that I guess can be thorns sometimes but at the same time we made the most of it and just took the time to meet together as a group so I don't know I guess that makes it not as much of a thorn and then a rose would probably be I decided to join like the chorus and we have a retreat tomorrow that's going to probably take up most of the day but so far um I don't know I just really like the people in it and I like the music repertoire and I guess how in-depth we go with like learning vocal technique and things like that so it feels good to be back with that because I did choir a lot in high school and it was just such a big like I guess source of stress relief and just I loved it having that as a break between classes and other things so the I guess that would also be my bud like looking forward to that tomorrow. And to start off, let's go ahead and define physical well-being. As described by National Wellness Institute, physical wellness, or as we're calling it, well-being, uh, can be described as how one recognizes the need for regular physical activity and learns about diet and nutrition. Although this was the original definition of the dimensions, I believe a better definition could be taken from Iowa State's Student Wellness Center, which defines physical wellness as the ability to maintain a healthy quality of life that allows us to get the most out of our daily activities without undue fatigue or physical stress. Additionally, it also means living responsibly and taking care of your body and recognizing that our daily habits and behaviors have a significant impact on our overall health, wellness, and quality of life. Uh, Michelle, what are your initial thoughts when presented with this concept? I think it, it really has to do with you know, the particular person in terms of how they see their own wellness. And I think what we tend to get into is um, being, I think, too um, specific on the definition. And what ends up happening with that is people end up getting into kind of a spiral of feeling like they're not doing enough, right? Um, because they're not you know, subscribing to whatever the definition is. And that's varies from person to person. It has a lot to do with our energy level, for example, you know, our abilities and so forth and so on. So, and I think that's why people don't stick, you know, to wellness. I think, you know, I, sometimes I do talks and workshops and I'll ask people, how many of you have lost, you know, weight over time and everyone's hands inevitably go up. And then I'll say to them, how, how many of you have kept it off, you know, and sustain it over a period of time and all the hands go down inevitably. <laughs> and I think the reason for that is because of, again, this um, self-deprecation, you know, we constantly find ourselves in the self-deprecation and then we give up. Um, and anything that you really want to do well, you have to put a lot of practice in, obviously, and it has to become, you know, habitualized. And I think it could be very uncomfortable, obviously. Um, people have this inclination that they're supposed to be doing it a certain way. So they give up because they don't like what they're doing or it does, is it, you know, it is particularly uncomfortable. So I always, what I try to reinforce with, you know, with individuals, it's, it's so important that you build yourself up incrementally so that you're not injuring yourself, for example, or that you're not, um, 
feeling deflated in some way, right? Um, and also you take your individual preferences and needs into consideration, you know, how critical that is. Um, so thinking about, you know, let's say you want to do cardiovascular exercise, let's say. Not everybody is going to go run like three miles. You know, that's not fun for everybody. So if you like to do Zumba, you like to just do movement or yoga or whatever it is, you know, just to find the thing that works for you, I think. Um, so getting back to the point is I think everyone needs to define it. Um, and it also has to be connected to their values. So I think people do wellness um, for different reasons. And, you know, for example, in my book, when I talk about kids, you know, or adolescents or teens, you know, parents, what they tend to do is they'll say something like, oh, you know, you have to um, eat well and exercise because you have to live a long life or et cetera. And adolescents and teens are not taught, you know, thinking about their longevity. Like that's the last thing on their mind, according to them, right? They're invincible. They're going to live forever. <laughs> so it's not really speaking to what's important to them and what their value is. Um, so it has to really be significant to the person. And I'll just give you a very quick example. I had somebody I was working with and, you know, we talked, we were trying to kind of identify what her value is around wellness. Um, and she, she, you know, we were kind of going, to, and, and I actually came up with a, a number of values that I, I identified that tends to be most important to most people. So as she was talking, I asked her about whether or not, you know, her functioning is impaired because of her wellness. Like, does she not attend events because of people being there and her feeling insecure or whatever the case is. So she, you know, she said to me that because, you know, lately she's gained some weight that she'll avoid social situations and that, you know, that she feels really sad about that because she isn't seeing her friends as often as she'd like to and all of that. And I, and then I said to her, wow, you're really compromising a value. And she said, what do you mean? I said, independence. Like it's actually impairing your ability to be independent, to do the things you want to be doing. And she looked at me and she like, tears came streaming down her eyes. She's like, I didn't even, I never thought about it that way. I never connected like my wellness to like, and my independence. And I know what I know about her, I have a relationship with her is that was so critical to her, her independence. And I knew that that was going to speak to her. She was going to really be able to relate to it when I, you know, kind of um, formulated it that way to her. Um, and then she was like, you know, if I, if, when I think about my wellness and when I'm actually behaving on behalf of my best self, I'm going to take that into consideration. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to ask myself, is this taking away from me being my best self or any critical values that are important to me? And that really helped her. I really love that you were emphasizing like the concept of like values and in terms of like talking about um, like well-being as a whole, like, you know, like how does this, like you're saying, like this definition does get a bit specific um, and at times it can impact people's values in terms of like, okay, like what does this mean regarding me personally? Um, for me, when I see this or like re-looking at the like definition or rehearing it, um, I think it places a lot of pressure on the individual level and it doesn't really look at like social and or environmental factors that come into play um, that can affect your physical well-being because, you know, like, um, do you have access to like a gym that you can have? Can you pay the gym fees? Are you able to have like fresh groceries? Are you able to cook with these fresh groceries? Are things that you're comfortable cooking and you're, it's something that, you know, like from your cultural component, like you grew up eating this stuff um, to help you kind of push your well-being in terms of like continuing on with the process. Cause like you mentioned, Michelle, um, a lot of these like habits that we, we, need to build up for some, uh, to maintain our well-being like they are incremental um this kind of makes me think of like new year's resolutions for example and how people tend to like go big or they go home and it's usually because they like make these like huge goals and then if they fall off track or if it's like one little tiny slip up they're like eh, i messed up like week two of this like resolution i'll try again next year um because it's not too big enough and i think that 
um, also comes into play of like discussing like in, uh, like smart goals or like other ways to kind of help your progress along. So for marathon training, you don't go first day. You don't start running like five, seven, eight miles. You start off with you don't even run miles. You start off with minute increments. You run for like twenty minutes, thirty minutes, ten minutes, twenty. Like keep going back and forth until like you get strong enough to be able to do the mileages. And I thought that was really interesting too, because I know later on in my training for like a marathon, there would be one or two days where I would miss practice due to some like school complication. And I would, I just wanted to quit training for a marathon in general. Like, even though I had run for like two or three months, I missed one practice that was like two or three miles. And I just, I thought I was failing already that I couldn't run it. And I just wanted to quit. But then I think the only reason why I stayed was one, because I realized it was like stupid to just quit like that. But it's also that I wasn't attending those practices just to sort of train for the marathon. I was attending it because it made me feel better in retrospect. And it helped me like cope with a bunch of other things going on in my life. And so I think, Michelle, what you had said earlier with like recognizing your values, I think being mindful in what you do and the reasons why you do it is really important in order to maintain your physical well-being. And so, yeah, that's just my thought. I want to add on to the running thing because I think that's really true. I know like whenever I get back into running, I just put on music and just tell myself to run for 20 to 30 minutes and I don't time it at all. And it definitely makes it easier to get back into it. I think sometimes just making it seem like you have to live up to a certain standard or if you're going to do it at all, it has to be for an hour or something. I mean, those unrealistic expectations can probably do more harm than good. Or if you're trying to get into physical activity just because you want to be as fit as your friend or someone you saw in a magazine, like that might be not the right motivation to get you started. I think it's all about starting from where you are exactly and just being present to that. What really resonated with me during like your response, Michelle, was you speaking about your friend and her saying like, oh, I gained weight and I feel like I don't want to go out anymore or like see people. And I, I definitely have that same sort of anxiety and like, even like growing up, like not putting, putting aside, like what we see on social media and how that affects our behavior and things like that. Just like culturally speaking, there's always this idea of like, what will other people think? What will other people say? Like your aunt's coming around being like, Hey, you look a little chubby today. Yeah. Things like that. I think it's taken me a really long time to grow out of the need for validation from the people around me. And I, I can't say that I've fully grown out of it. That's definitely not true. Um, and it's just a continuous work in progress. But I think what really changed is that, especially it, it mostly changed a lot this year, is that I, I learned to like value my own needs and my own time and recognize where I get my energy from. Because for a really long time, like I, I got like, you know, anxious and more depressed in college and stuff. And then I started to think that I just didn't like being around people. And that wasn't true. I actually get my energy from people. And I recognized that this year and like seeing myself go out and like socialize more. I was like, this is what physical well-being is for me, right? Personally. And so I think I, I really resonate with the idea of like choosing your value and choosing to value yourself before like the, the things around you, I guess. I do think the cultural components in terms of like parents, um, aunts, uncles, grandmothers, grandparents, et cetera, making those commentaries, because at least from my opinion, it doesn't really initially come off as like a malicious intent sort of thing. It's kind of like they're trying to look out for you in the best ways that they can. And physical appearance is just one of the things that they can see. So they're looking at you and, you know, like you got a little bit of chubby cheeks. They're like, oh, like, you know, like maybe like you're eating a bit too much. Maybe like you can impact your health in terms of your cholesterol, blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. So we kind of want to watch out for that. And I think for me coming from a first generation, like situation, like our medical care, like insurance things, those are definitely things that they we're consistently being conscientious of like, okay, how often do we need to see a provider? How often do we need to pay the co-pays and et cetera? Um, so I think that was one way that they were trying to like keep track of our health. 
Um, but on the flip side, I, I'm pretty sure I'll have to pull up the study. I think there were studies that show that's shown that like when parents are consistently making those commentaries, it actually makes it a lot more difficult for kids to lose weight. And in fact, it does the opposite effect where uh, children unfortunately um, are gaining more weight because um, the consistent, I'll say nagging, because I can't think of another word, the consistent nagging at some points uh, really kind of chips away at um, people's self-efficacy and their ability and self-worth and image to be able to like motivate themselves potentially um, to lose weight. Sometimes the comments aren't helpful and sometimes they can just reinforce unhealthy behavior too, because I think what you want to do is probably encourage people to do what's good for them and not just motivate motivate them to fit a certain aesthetic which is sometimes the approach a lot of friends and family take like with good intentions but they just don't even know what they're doing and in my family I've never really felt like shamed at all for gaining weight or losing weight because I know I have over the years like I grew up pretty athletic and then like I know I quit swimming in like seventh grade so I probably gained some weight in eighth grade and then I did some more sports in high school and and got into running and that was fun um, but I know that my grandmother was always concerned about me, I think the most probably when it came to gaining weight in college, because she just, for some reason, she just saw that in my future. She was like, now when you go to college, like don't gain the freshman 15. I luckily didn't end up doing it. And I think it probably could have had to do with the fact that I started running a lot. And I also went vegan before my first year of college. And I don't know, things were also pre-portioned because of COVID. So it could have been a combination of things. People definitely look out for each other in that way in my family. And like the women are always like, either going on diets not like not to put y'all in blast um but i would say no eating disorders or anything like that and not really shaming other people but there's always that like it's really important especially for women i think women of color maybe but just women in general to just always stay in shape and there's not the same pressure on the men like they're not going on diets as often they may not be as in shape but they will be like oh i'm like biking again or like playing tennis again and it's like okay that's great but like for women like they cannot be overweight or it would just be such a bad thing at least that's what i see in my family and um, I remember like, and my family will like check up on me or they'll like see me on a video call when I'm away. And they're like, oh, like you look great. Like you look like you didn't gain the freshman 15. And I guess it's supposed to be like a compliment or something. And I'm not too sensitive to it, I guess, because of the way that I was raised. Like my self-value or self-worth was never really, I guess, like placed on my weight. But I, it, I mean, I feel good about it because I, I think for me, it just means I'm taking care of myself. And I know that I would still be worthy and valuable even if I had gained the weight like I, st I don't feel like they would stop loving me or see me differently because of it so I think it's just important for people to remember that like when people are giving these comments like just know just I guess they want to really get the message across they are saying this because they care and it wouldn't change the way that they see the person they're talking to like if they did change somehow prior to COVID I was like running like I was just more active prior to COVID and um, I'll be like open a little bit, but I was like, I'm like five, seven, still five, seven. And I weighed like 126 before COVID. And then now I am like, like, like 145 right now. And my parents asked me, like, after I went through my physical, they asked me, I was like, Oh, like, what is your weight? And I told them my weight. And then my parents are like, Oh, wow. Like, you need to like, I don't remember what they said, but all I know is that it was a little hurtful. I was like, it's still a normal, I guess, BMI. And I know Jay, I think you mentioned like the BMI index has its flaws. <laughs> so I don't know, but like the BMI, my BMI was like still normal, but it still hurt. Cause it was like, oh, okay. I guess I need to lose weight. And there was a period of time where I wouldn't like eat as much as I would, or I would do like these weirdly and like tense workouts. And it probably wasn't the, it, well, I know it wasn't the best, but I was able to, throughout COVID and the quarantine thing, I was able to learn that, like, it's okay. I am healthy. As long as I feel healthy, it doesn't really matter what else, what anyone else really says. And it's, like, difficult to understand that and, like, know your self-worth and everything. It's just a little difficult, but it's important to kind of remind yourself to do that. I wish there was a way that I could always remind myself of all the things that I learned in life. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird. I think I did that with like college essays. I reread my college essays. I was like, oh my gosh, like, wow, I'm so wise. But yeah, I wish there was a way to do that. Physical well-being correlates 
a lot more with my mental health than anything else. Um, and there are just an enormous amount of stressors for, especially for the BIPOC community, especially over the past, I don't know, decades <laughs> um, um, in, in America. Um, and like, you know, the, the past couple of years outside of like even the pandemic have been extremely stressful for a lot of different reasons, you know, um, I mean, I'll bring up like one specific event, I guess. Uh, like while I was still at UT Austin um, as a student, uh, this was around the time that uh, the Muslim ban came out. My family is Muslim. Um, and we had a lot of, uh, I, I think like my, my idea of myself, the way per people perceive me and like how I saw the world and my community at that moment, uh, really became fragmented. I didn't understand why um, these changes were happening um, to, to a, a certain extent and that I wanted to fight them, but I was so overwhelmed and so stressed out by just like the emotion of, of seeing my environment change in such a way that I think like that definitely affected my physical well-being. And I know it affected a lot of other people's physical well-being as well. And then I think it was very much like therapy, my friends, things like that, that helped me like get back to being myself and get back to feeling like, you know, I was physically well and that I could do things um, further from there. And that, I don't know what we can do to like, I guess, make sure that um, we don't have stressors. Like that's not possible, right? We're always going to have some form of stress. And so I think, I think like recognizing that um, that like that our mental health is like so important to our ability to be well and to like not be fatigued and to be able to work and continue doing things. We have to like put ourselves like first and take time. Like, you know, for me, especially when I'm super stressed out, I sleep a lot because I, I need to literally like just sleep the stress off. Like sometimes you have to sleep a fever out <laughs> or like sweat a fever out. I'm sleeping the stress off. <laughs> um, so that definitely has worked for me in a lot of different ways. Um, but I guess like to, to answer the question really uh, of, uh, of like, what are some of the experiences that I've like felt related to physical well-being as as a person who is BIPOC, um, I would really say that like mo most of my experiences are centered around like environmental influences um, rather than, you know, uh, rather than it just being like food and things like that. Cause I feel like my behaviors towards food or my be behaviors towards like exercise or like doing things all change because of environmental stimuli. Um, and I just need to, um, wait, everybody has to figure out like their own path and like um, way to deal with those different types of stressors and have like a very supportive community, which <laughs> uh, definitely sometimes isn't always present, but then you have to become your own supportive community. Um, and that, that is a long and hard process. Um, so keep going. <laughs> yeah, I was really able to relate to what you said, Fatima, because um, with college, it was really like call it I live like 30 miles away from my school and so it's not like a big it's not like I'm homesick but just having to go to bed in like a different place and especially like since I had some like roommate conflicts there were some like little disagreements I was kind of staying at my friend's place and then I would spend some nights at my dorm and then I'd go back home and it felt like every night I was sleeping at someplace different and it wasn't exactly home for me and I couldn't do the things that would make me happy and like people change too so it's like you can't spend a lot of time with people that like let's say you're running buddy so like there goes my physical wellness like oh if she's not going then I'm not gonna go and I guess with what you had said too like through your own experiences I think you were trying to also get at maybe that I guess learning to love yourself in a way where you can be independent and do the things that you love is really important because you don't I realize that I do need to be more independent I think that like I should be able to go outside on a run by myself I don't need a community I mean it's great to have like a running community but I should learn how to be able to sit down 
and be happy with myself and do the things I love. Cause not everything, not everyone's going to love everything you love. Like you can't have a buddy to go with you every place. Like, yeah. So I just seeing your self-worth and loving who you are. So there's definitely a cultural component to this, you know, which we definitely have to take into account. And I, I remember when I was, um, I did a focus group and I also did some work with families uh, using my book when we were, you know, when I was first, when I first published it and it was really amazing, but what came out of it, cause it was a, you know, parent ch- child diet, what came out of it, which was fascinating was it improved communication, which again was wasn't necessarily expected from doing this kind of work, but it, you know, was a backdrop of what happened. And the reason for that is the families realized, and there was a particular diet that I'm, that I have in mind of a mother and a daughter. And, um, they were, you know, they happened to be African-American and, um, but the mother, the, the daughter was complaining and she was a young adult. She was complaining that the mother constantly puts her down and speaks to her in a pretty derogatory way around food in general. And, you know, when, and I saw kind of the, I saw the body language and I stopped and said something like, Oh, how do you think your daughter is taking in what you're saying right now? How do you think that feels? How do you think that impacts her and all of that? And the mom stopped and she got, you know, teary eyed. And she said, that's the way my mom spoke to me. You know, it's kind of a tough love, particularly around food, you know, particularly around food. You're so fat, you have a fat, you know, but whatever she used to kind of, and she recalled all the things that her mother used to say to her. And I said, how did that feel when your mother said that to you? She said, it was pretty horrible. I said, but you kind of do that to your daughter. <laughs> um, she said, well, that's all I know. I'm so used to it. I'm so used to hearing it. You know, that's what we do. And I said, but it's, it's, you know, being har- harmful and hurtful. And the other thing, which is also fascinating for my research is that I was looking at teasing um, you know, fat shaming, teasing, etc., And the majority, the prevalence is within families. It happens most often within families, which I think is also pretty interesting too, because you would think, right? Kids get bullied outside in school and etc. They do, of course, but it is most prevalent in families. Um, so I thought that that was just, you know, kind of important to mention. Um, and I think, I think the difficulty with food and wellness and exercising um, is, you know, if we're talking about like drugs and alcohol, if we're talking about other substances, we could abstain from other things. We can't abstain from eating and food. We are constantly around it. We're socialized around it. And I think across cultures, there's always some you know, traditions around food, there's always, you know, we celebrate, I think, across cultures too, around food. So it becomes confusing um, in terms of, you know, monitoring ourselves or getting a sense of, you know, what's appropriate or what's not appropriate or how do we want to look. And again, I don't have to get into like kind of social media. And, um, oh, there was actually something that came out last week. I'm, I'm not, not sure if you saw it, but Facebook did a study and it showed, did you see this? No, Facebook did a study and it showed that Instagram, um, according to their study, Instagram is detrimentally impacting um, the self-confidence of teen girls. And um, they showed that the numbers of depression, anxiety, and also suicidal ideation, and also, you know, suicide in general has increased incrementally over the years and that one of the variables is actually social media, looking at pictures, comparisons and all that. So we're also getting a lot more information and also hard numbers that are providing support to the fact that these things are detrimental to the mental health of our youth. And, you know, that's why there's huge, huge prevalence of eating disorders and, and other, other, you know, mental health issues are re- related around food. So just wanted to jump in with that because that just came out, like, I think in the past couple of days, I saw it. And one thing I've heard is sometimes eating disorders have to do with wanting a sense of control in one's life and like 
I, I don't know, I, I, maybe this could be a question, like what are some other things people can do to help them feel that? I don't know if there's necessarily like a one size fits all or like one thing that they can do that would just help work, but I don't know if that's a good question, but I guess what are some other things they can do? Well, there's, listen, there's systemic issues around this, right? So we're talking about social media, we're talking about uh, even, for example, policies, right, within schools. Um, I actually just posted an infographic just the other day. It was um, a thing of French fries from McDonald's and a cup full of fruit. And it showed the the French fries is 99 cents, right? And the cup of fruit is $5.99. And there are a lot of like, I think, underlying causes of that, but it almost like suggests to me, like if I see that, I'll be like, it's almost like the price is trying to suggest that the French fries are less consequential than the fruit. It's like the fruit is like a commitment, like you're committing like $5 to that instead of like a few cents. But to, on when it comes to your body, like the French fries are taking a much bigger toll and like, I guess companies just want to profit and like that's why they're able to be so competitively priced, but it's not supposed to be telling you like this is a better option, but it, that's like a real thing I think a lot of people deal with. I mean, I think that could also be, I mean, potentially a BIPOC topic as well, because people get influenced by marketing and more than like, I guess, health information in schools that should probably take precedence over all the other information that's coming their way. But that's that's a big thing, I think. There have been studies that show that there are increased marketing and advertisements for unhealthier food options, particularly in food deserts. And unfortunately, food deserts are primarily where Black and Latinx families are located. Um, and if you take into the considerations of like low income and you know parents not having enough time to cook and the fast food just being, like Michelle was saying, like 99 cents for French fries versus $5.99 for fruit salad, as a working parent who's on the run, you're going to probably go for the cheaper option that's really quick. You can feed your kids and move on with the rest of your day. Um, and from personal experience, that's how my parents and I, or that's how my brother and I and my parents ended up surviving um, for a good part of my like childhood because that's what we depended on to be able to become financially stable later on. Um, regarding the BMI thing, I want to put in a quick quip about my issues with BMI. BMI was not made by a physician. It was made by a mathematician who was looking at the ideal body weight for a white man. But we're still consistently using BMI a lot in clinical settings. Um, and it's sexist and racist because, again, it was looking at European men and not taking into consideration for women. Um, so definitely something that needs to be done with that. Um, and then regarding body image, um, I was recently reading something about uh, objectification and um, how uh, it kind of ties in with body image, where uh, I think it was a study conducted on uh, women where they're placed in like, it was college women and they, one, they were, sorry, I'm not getting the details correct properly, but basically they were taking tests, but they were put in swimsuits and one was like more revealing than the other. And basically uh, the women who were, you know, like more, there was more skin showing and et cetera, they're too focused in terms of like their self-objectification in terms of like, am I showing too much skin? Is my fat? Do I have muffin rolls, et cetera, et cetera. And they ended up performing a lot worse in comparison to their control group. And I think that comes into play with the idea of like body image and also with fat phobia, um, as we were briefly discussing, which is consistently being afraid of being called fat or being perceived as fat. Um, but just to highlight, fat is just an adjective. Like it is not a way for you to kind of identify. Well, it can be. I'm going to step back to say it's typically used as an adjective. And the negative connotations that we typically bring from it is from societal pressures um, within the United States. Or like, for example, in history, for the longest time, bigger bodies, curvier bodies, these were bodies that were considered healthy. And it wasn't until I think World War II where more affluent countries were becoming coming into power with food and with services that it got flipped and reversed. And people were saying it's skinnier bodies that are the healthy option and bigger bodies are the ones that are uh, less attractive and et cetera. And of course the racial tie-in with that is that um, 
for most, uh, especially for women of color, they're a bit more curvier <laughs> than white women. Um, and it was a way for them to be able to take that body image and kind of install the like idea of like, this is the ideal concept of like what uh, being healthy, what being the idealized um, individual is within society. Um, and I think it's really important for us to be able to kind of step away from that. And like Michelle and everyone else was mentioning, internalizing kind of self-reflect and reframe, like what exactly does it mean for me personally to be physically well? Um, is it to uh, be able to have enough energy to go about my day and do whatever tasks that I need without struggling too much? Is it for me to go outside and feel sexy? And if that's something that's good for you, go for it. But it's kind of like, uh, what are your values? What exactly do you want reflected internally and externally? Yeah, it's like, I didn't even think a lot of these beauty standards affected me growing up. If anything, like, uh, for some reason, I thought I looked more like them. Like, I thought I looked more like the people in the advertisements. I had, like, the reverse of, like, body dysmorphia. Like, instead of thinking I looked bad, like, I thought I looked more like the ideal standard than I actually did. And especially as I got older, because between seventh and eighth grade was when I gained a little bit more weight. And my mom said that was around the time in her life when she also went from being skinny being a little bit more curvy and just like not being like the skinniest girl in her class anymore like up until seventh grade I was also pretty skinny so I think during that shift I don't know my brain just didn't catch up and so like a few years after that I was just thinking I looked like everyone else in my class I went to a predominantly white high school also and a lot of the girls were like I don't know I mean I think there was definitely a range of body types but I just wasn't even really aware of what I looked like and I didn't celebrate it enough and I wish that I did and I wish that I was able to see more people who looked like me also and just more representation because it's like it, it is different I mean that's what's so beautiful about the world I mean there, there's diversity there are different body types and we really can't just like hail one over the other because that doesn't really make sense and if we are doing that there's like a very like I feel like conniving reason for like doing that so I feel like um yeah and also I think it has to do with clothes I'm not really that into fashion my brother could speak more on this and, and the other people I know um, but it's like, I think what you wear can have a huge impact on how you see yourself too. Like if you have like a good group of friends or a family you can go shopping with and they like know what looks good on you or they can like help give constructive feedback and be like, oh, that really accentuates this or that really fits you well. And it's not just like the trendiest thing, but it's like, what looks good on you? What makes you feel good? And like, it can be any size, any color, like as long as you're just shopping for you and you're shopping because you want to be able to put your best foot forward into the world. I feel like that's that can be a really positive thing and like not to be superficial, but it does have a big impact on the way you move through the world and the way that people see you. And I think the biggest thing is you feeling good in your clothes, in your skin. Um, and that's something that you can cultivate. And it's not necessarily going to come directly from people telling you what's trendy or what's popular. It's like just celebrating you for who you are and what you look like and accepting all of you. The way that my body image changed, like I, I continuously had like, um, sort of a bad idea of what my body image was growing up and <laughs> even like just the over uh, until like these past couple of years it's continuously been negative and I think one of the big things that helped me change my mindset around my body image was one being in like an area where I felt like I, I was seeing like more diverse groups and more diverse like body types and things like that the other thing was is that I realized a lot of the people that I think are the most beautiful people in the world, you know, they, they have, they can have any versatile body type or whatever, but almost all of those people told me that they had a negative body image. And I was just like, what in the world are you talking about? How do you not see yourself the way that I see you? Right. The, the, like for me, it was, it was just shocking almost to like, to for them to tell me that like oh I don't feel like I look good I feel like I need to be wearing this or I need to decide my clothes because this one cinches here and this one accentuates my butt or something like that you know um and so I I think that that was like the the point I, I had a huge con like a really long conversation with my sister about this because she's she's the person I love the most in the world I think she's like absolutely gorgeous and she just had so many negative feelings about her body image and I was like 
this is not okay. Like I, I wanted to stop talking about it, about body image, the way that I do, because I didn't want that to affect her anymore. And that is like really what motivated me to change. And so I think it's like, definitely, I don't think we require validation from our community to feel good about ourselves, but it is so important that our community change to fit our needs as well. And to like support each other. And so I want to be part of the community that helps make sure that the people that I love and the people that are in my community continue to feel good about themselves as well. I would struggle with struggle with my body image during COVID and still now, like I would be in, I'd just be at home and there would be no reason for me to like dress up or do anything. And I just like, you know, roll out of my bed in my sleeping clothes, hop on a zoom and attend school. And I would feel like whatever. Okay. And I guess like, having to do that every single day, it just sort of made me feel like, oh my gosh, like I don't feel that great, partly because it wasn't like moving and being active, but I just felt like I wasn't pretty or I just felt kind of like a lump of sack of potatoes, just kind of rolling around the house, just doing nothing. And so there would be a couple of times that my way of reminding myself that I'm that I'm pretty, that I'm hot or whatever it is. I would just like take a shower, get dressed, do my hair, dress up. And it's really weird, but I don't know. It just made me feel like really good, I guess. And it's just like, I'm like, you know, I am not a sack of potatoes. I'm beautiful. I'm radiant and whatever that is. And I don't know. It kind of just was like a sort of like refresh, like a clean slate to start off the day or the next morning. And I think it's like really important to take the time to sort of make yourself feel good before you leave the house. I think there is this one person, some influencer, or I know many many influencers do this. They would speak about like before they leave the house every day, like you want to be in a good mindset because as soon as you, if you take a step outside that door with a negative mindset, you're going to be carrying that throughout your whole day until like you need to have your mindset in check and everything like that. But um, one other thing I kind of wanted to note was that since we're talking about like physical image and everything like that and like being pretty and I don't know, just looking really nice, I guess there was this one. um, I'm not sure what you call it. Do you know? Okay, there's this woman named Rupi Carr. She's really like famous for her quotes and inspirational like messages that she sends out. And there is this one quote that I found that I can read a part of it, or I'll just summarize it. She basically just apologizes to all the women she has called like beautiful before she's called them intelligent or brave or anything of the sort. And she's like apologizing that she made it seem like what we as women are born with, that is our defining characteristic. And I think it's just really important because we are more than just pretty, like we are you know, radiant, we're clever and we're everything in between. And it also brought me back to this whole poll that I saw one time. There was this one poll on Instagram for some like news something. It it was for something, but it was, would you rather have your daughter be born clever or pretty? And the majority chose pretty over clever. And I thought that really said something because I don't know, like we're more than just, I guess, quote unquote, like a pretty face for the world to look at. And then I told that to my friend and he told me like, it's the unfortunate truth. Like we can apparently as women, we're able to get further in this world by being pretty. And I was just like, huh. Love the fact that you brought up Ruby Core and the poetry that she wrote. Um, it reminds me of this. I did speech and debate when I was in high school and there's something called slam poetry. Um, and there was one that I saw, I, I put the link in the chat um, for y'all if you wanna see it, but it was called Pretty. Um, and it was performed by Katie Mackay. I can't remember who actually wrote the poem, but it was so, so amazing to hear that as like a high school student. Um, where this woman was speaking so powerfully and saying, am I pretty? Is this all that I am? No, like I, like my child will not be pretty. She will be everything else but pretty, right? I, I absolutely love that. We've touched upon a lot today. 
Um, and with all these in mind, I'm just wondering, like, what are some coping strategies that you guys have um, for folks before we um, sign off? I think we really have to be cognizant about, you know, how we're communicating. Um, we have to be cognizant about advocating, you know, for equality, um, and that includes accessibility, you know, for everybody equally. That's really important, of course. Um, and also, you know, the, I, I, I actually, the new book that I'm writing right now, where I just finished is on a lot of, you know, self-love, self-compassion, self-acceptance, self-efficacy, like you talked about. Um, you know, just be, being able to not, you know, compare ourselves to other people and, and to subscribe to a certain standard that we tend to do and our mind does that. So we really have to fight up and challenge ourselves individually as well. Um, so I think on every level, whether it's at the micro and the macro um, and systemically, you know, to really make change. I, I think it's changed a lot over time, but this year what I realized is what helps the most is like choosing what you want and who you want to be um, and then just, doing it. <laughs> like, even if like, you know, there's like this thing in, uh, in Indian weddings that the wedding is more about all the girls that are coming than the bride herself, because they're trying to get all the other girls married off. So whenever I go to a wedding, my mom dresses me up <laughs> in all the glamour, um, and, and, you know, tries to make sure all the aunties see me. <laughs> but so my, my idea behind that is where, where, whatever it is, that your mom tells you, but then dance the way that you want. So have fun with it. Have, have fun living. One of the coping strategies that I've tried or I'm still trying to figure out is like learning to have discipline, more discipline in my life and being able to have more control of doing what I want to do because I want to do it, not based on any other like determinants or factors in my life. Like the environment I'm in or like the people I'm around, just learning to be more independent. For me, I think it's um, a lot of self-love and self-maintenance um, and focusing or internalizing um, like why, like why am I making the suffering in terms of like trying to be physically well? Like is it to um, appease the larger society to like fit this like specific body image or body type um that's been told or is it because like I want to be able to keep up with friends and like be able to do all the fun stuff that we have planned without um you know like huffing and puffing or necessarily like um making it difficult for everyone else to enjoy so and I would like to take away um this was inspired by our conversation today and also Michelle's book, like, but just being mindful of like the eyes through which you see yourself and other people. And it's almost like the same vision, like, like um, whether you're seeing like all the greatness and the potential, or if you're just seeing the lack or just what needs to be worked on, like you can work on things and, and make improvements, but looking at it with loving eyes. And I think that's a lot more productive because it's just going to be coming from that like more pure place I guess and it's going to last longer than any trend or any fad because it's it's just going to stick with you if you really cultivate that so that's what I'm going to work on and that's what I'm going to take away so it looks like this is it for today's episode I want to thank Dr. Maidenberg and Fatima again for joining us today uh, for our audience please stay tuned as we dive into the other dimensions of well-being for the season bye